Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 175 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by the infamous, the elusive, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Um, yeah, let's try to whiz through the, the review part of the show. It wasn't really too much that went on last weekend. We're going to start at the Kansas Star Arena in Kansas, USA. Um couple fights to mention over here, actually. We saw a, a prospect, well, two prospects get in the ring, both undefeated. Somebody's O had to go. Shojahon Ergashev, 15-0, and 0, an amateur standout, a real amateur standout. I think he had over 200 amateur wins and only a handful of losses. He took on Michael Fox, friend of the show, the 140 fighter that is 6'3 and a half slash 6'4. Um... It ended up being a unanimous decision over 10 rounds in favor of Ergashev, but it was a very, um, well, very disputed decision, in my opinion. Um, I, I I don't agree. I disagree with, with the outcome. I think that Michael Fox won the fight, and that's no bias to him. That is just the way I saw the fight. Um, I mean, the, the actual fight itself, I felt that in the first round, it was quite shocking to see Ergashev straight out on the front foot. He was loading up with every shot, and he was fighting like a fighter that had his man hurt, which he didn't. I mean, literally, from the first bell, he was reckless as hell. And he fought like a bit of a desperate man, Um you know, I wonder if he'd put a bet on himself to win by a first-round knockout because his last two fights going into that fight, he won by first-round knockouts. And Michael Fox did well to duck under most of Ergashev's shots in that first round, but he didn't really land anything himself. It was a clear Ergashev round. Um, twice in that first round already, the referee was on to... Um, was on to Ergashev for pushing Fox down. Uh, in the second round, a hard round to score, really. I think I probably edged it to Fox. I mean, Fox was sometimes pushing Ergashev back for the first time in the fight. Neither man really landed anything telling. The referee, once again, was on Ergashev's case for pushing Fox down. In the third round, a clear round for Michael Fox. Excellent jabs he showed us. Once again, he came forward a lot. Um, when he did that, Ergashev looked pretty average, to be honest, and he didn't really seem... Uh, like he knew what to do. He didn't really seem to have any answers at that point. He didn't really fight well going backwards. I could see that straight away. He was either being very patient or he really had slowed down his pace in that third round. It was very noticeable. Um, in the fourth round, I had it 3-1 to Fox. I gave that round to him also. Another good round for him. He was boxing really well. His footwork was exceptional. I sometimes worried that he might run out of steam due to constantly moving his feet, even when sometimes it didn't appear like he really needed to, Fox. But he has got great footwork, um, especially for a very tall guy. And in the fifth round, another Fox round. Um, not much happened in that round, to be honest, though. In the sixth round, again, I gave that one to Fox, despite Fox taking a big shot in the dying seconds of the round, which he took well, to be fair. The referee once again issued a strong warning to Ergashev's corner at the end of that round regarding pushing down Fox's head. Uh, in the seventh round, the pair exchanged hooks, and and um, Fox actually took a good shot. It was hard to see if he was hurt momentarily because the, you know, the pair clinched and got broke up and then clinched again. And earlier, I, I should mention, when the pair did exchange, uh, Fox would often come out better, which... I felt was quite risky tactics to stay in the pocket and trade with a banger, but it seemed to work for Fox time and time again. Ergashev did a lot better in that seventh round than he had done in many of the, the previous rounds, because I felt like Michael Fox found some great momentum uh, going through those mid-rounds. In the eighth round, it was a very easy round to score. Michael Fox's jab was once again playing a huge part in the fight. Ergashev was getting beaten to the punch and outboxed. In the ninth round, a very close round, I actually edged it to Ergashev just because I felt like... Um, he landed more power shots. I mean, don't get me wrong, Fox definitely out-jabbed him. It was a bit of a sympathetic decision to give it to Ergashev. But again, I had it 6-3 to Michael Fox.
Fox going into that final 10th round. And in that 10th round, it was a big round for Ergashev. Fox definitely got hit too often in the first 30 seconds of the round. And he opted to trade. And to be honest, it was a nervy last round watching that. And Ergashev, at the very end of the fight, they showed you the punch stats. And he landed 2% of his jabs, which is just unbelievable. I think it's an all-time low. And I just can't understand how if you only land 2% of your jabs, then that takes away one of your hands pretty much. And that means that you won the fight apparently just using the one hand, just using power shots when Michael Fox barely got hit with power shots the whole fight. No. Not for me. I, I think it was a wrong decision. Um, I really did. Um, so I think that was, I think I had it in the end 6-4 in favor of Michael Fox. But listen, it, it, it was a close fight, but I really didn't understand how the judges came to the conclusion that they came to. I believe one of them was really wide as well. Um, real distasteful. But anyway... Leaving that one there, it was an undercard fight. Moving up to the main event, pretty much. Jesse Ankel Hernandez, 12-1, and 1, took on our very own Thomas Patrick Ward, 25-0, and 0, for the vacant NABA USA Super Bantamweight title. I wouldn't imagine that Ward would be defending this belt um, because, you know, he'll be coming back to England. And I don't even know how he qualified to actually fight for it, but it ended up being a 10-round unanimous decision in favor of Thomas Patrick Ward. He really put a lesson in on his man. Um, really impressive, i got to say. I mean, the first round, Ward was demonstrating the exquisite footwork that he possesses. Certainly, he put the pressure on Hernandez and pushed him back. And despite Hernandez being a come-forward fighter and, you know, both men in the build-up to the fight pretty much agreeing with the fact that um, Ward would box off the back foot and Hernandez would come forward. Ward was actually screwing up the game plan and coming forward himself. He was the aggressor. In the second round, once again, the speed from Ward was really nice. He made Hernandez miss a lot. Um, Ward would let go of his left hook a lot to the head and body. He completely outclassed Hernandez in that in that second round. In the third round, it was a closer round. I mean, you could probably give it to Hernandez. Uh, in the fourth round, Ward actually dropped Hernandez with a beautiful left hook. The timing was fantastic. It was very fast. It was very powerful. Just a beautiful shot, really. And the bell sounded while Hernandez was still on the canvas. So when he got back up, he went straight back to his corner and possibly got saved by the bell, to be honest. But that was quite shocking because Patrick, or I should say Thomas Patrick Ward, um, TPW, he's, he's not really a big puncher, to be honest. And his record says that. Um, in the fifth round, Ward came out and absolutely smashed the body of Hernandez. And once again, um, his left hook was, was, was his key punch. He really did put it on Hernandez. A big round in the fifth. Round six, seven, and eight, I mean, it was more of the same. Ward just completely outclassed his man. He really deserves a top promoter getting behind him now. I hope he does um, get that because he's a real talent. And he's so young. I mean, he's barely lost a round as a pro, they were saying. And that's just incredible to get to 26-0 and 0 now and still still have such a perfect record there. Uh, the ninth round was a closer round. Hernandez finished strong, but it was a toe-to-toe kind of fight at times in that round. And Ward definitely did the better work, but still very close round there. Um, and in the 10th and final round, it was a great final round to end what had been a fantastic fight. Probably the best round of the fight actually came in that 10th and final round. But I had it nine rounds to one um, in favor, of course, of Mr. Uh, Mr. Thomas Patrick Ward. So a fantastic win for, for, for us, really. I mean, himself, of course, but for Britain. He's really put himself on the map and Britain um, over there. In that card, which I said was in Kansas. That's that bill done, though. Moving out now to the Grand Casino in Hinkley, Minnesota, USA. Couple fights to mention over here. Let's start with the undercard. Michaela Meyer moved to 10 and 0. She successfully defended her NABF female super featherweight title against Yareli Larios, 13 and 2, with one draw now. Unanimous decision over eight rounds there for Meyer. Um, also on the bill, we got to see Joshua Greer Jr. He moved to win number 20. He's got that one loss. He's got that one draw. He took on Giovanni Escana, who had a record of 19 and 3, now 19 and 4. It was for the WBC Continental America's Bantamweight title. Um, Another knockout for Joshua Greer Jr. So he gets to get his, his pillow out once again. An eighth-round KO of a scheduled 10-round fight. But Greer himself was down in the third round. And Escana, like I say, was down and done in round eight. Um, the, the, the punch that actually put Greer down was a right hand. And it came right kind of on the bell. I'm not quite sure what was going on. I think Greer seemed to protest it a little bit. But it was clearly, in my eyes, a legitimate knockdown. And it did 
did count, thankfully. So just a reminder there that he's got to keep his, you know, his, his eye on the prize and keep himself on the ball at all times. Um, yeah, that, that that was about it. The uh, the punch that finished the the uh, the fight was a body shot, a brutal body shot. I believe it was a right hook to the body that Greer delivered to Escanner, and Escanner actually threw a left hook before he went down. It was like a delayed reaction, and he could not get up from that body shot. It was brutal. And the main event, Rob Brandt, now twenty five and one, a defense successfully of his WBA world middleweight title. He took on Kasan Basangarov, seventeen and zero, a bit of an unknown quantity type fighter, really. Um, Basangarov was actually down in round two, and also he was he was down and TKO'd in round eleven. It was a much better fight though than I'm perhaps uh, leading on. Um, you know, Brent was was in real deep water at times, so a real good fight there. And Basangarov, despite losing, really announces himself on a big scale as well. Uh, moving out now to Belgium, we saw Francesco Patera defend successfully his EBU European lightweight title against Marvin Petit, 24-1 with one draw. I actually said it would be a, a real good fight. I haven't seen the fight, so if anyone has, please let me know. But Marvin Petit's only loss was actually to Yvonne Mendy. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was a close points decision to Mendy, but a close fight. So, uh, yeah, I thought he'd give Patera some problems and even perhaps win the fight. But Patera did unanimously win the fight like I say all three judges in agreement 21 and 3 now Patera moving out now to Germany uh this one is a card that again I've got to, I've got to really say some things about um Anthony Yijit moved to 22-1 and one with one draw, a unanimous decision over eight rounds against Mohamed Kaladi, who's now 10-8 and eight with one draw, so Yijit picks up another win there, bounces back from that defeat to the guy whose name I've momentarily forgot, but anyway, the World Boxing Super Series is what I'm talking about, he crashed out, was it Baron Chick? I think he lost to, so a good win back for him, but the fight to actually mention on this, Bill, um, Abbas Baral, 4-0, former um, former real good amateur, I don't think he made it to the Olympics, but anyway, 4-0, like I say, with two knockouts, he took on former world champion Carlos Molina, 29-10 and with two draws for the vacant WBC International Super Welterweight title, now, this was an, another bad, bad decision, in my opinion. The first round, um, Carlos Molina's combinations were fantastic. His jabs to the body, his jabs to the head. He was quicker. He seemed to outclass the young guy. And don't get me wrong, Barral did have some success in the later half of the round, but it was matched by Molina, who, like I say, started the round excellently and finished very nicely. It was a clear round for Carlos Molina for me. In the second round, a beautiful round for Molina. He was making Barral miss everything. He didn't know what to do with Molina. Molina's jab was excellent. His elusiveness was perfection. It was a clear Molina round. We spoke in the build-up, and I actually said to him, you need to be busy every round. You need to be busy every round, and he'd done that so far in the first two for me. The third round was a closer round. I felt that Barrow started well, but Molina, like I say, actually finished well. Barrow definitely threw more shots for the first time in the in in the fight at that point in a round. But he was missing badly, and the much cleaner stuff was from Molina. But I can see the Germans giving that round to Barrow. So I thought, do you know what? I'll go with that. 2-1 to Molina after three. Uh, going into the fourth round, an excellent round for Molina. Probably his best round. He was clearly, clearly, clearly outclassing the guy. He was actually walking the unbeaten German man down and making him miss and making him pay. And every time the German threw a shot, at any point, the crowd would go crazy. But it really didn't matter, um, you know, for me, it was a clear 3-1 after four rounds. In the fifth round, it was really pretty much more of the same from Molina. He was pushing the bigger man back. He was walking him down. He was landing better shots. Burrell, so far at that point, hadn't landed two shots in a row at all. He could not land any combination. He was only landing singular shots, whereas Molina would throw a three-punch combination and land everything. Another Molina round. In the sixth round... um, you know, I've got to be honest, most of the round, because I was streaming it, most of the round I actually spent on Twitter trying to see what everyone else thought of the fight, so I kind of missed that round. But, do you know what? I gave it to Barrow because the crowd was shouting, so I, I guessed he probably had some success. So I didn't really see the round, but I'll give it to the Germans, so 4-2 after 6, if I'm being nice to Barrow, because that, that third round, like I say, was really up for debate. In the seventh round, probably a Barrow round, in all fairness, he started to come alive a little bit, maybe Carlos had slowed down, it was hard to... 
to see. It was going to be an interesting next few rounds. Uh, the eighth round was a much better round, though, for Molina. He, you know, he seemed to to have a round like he did in the in the fourth. Um, Brown landed his first combination in that round, though. It was as if he accumulated all of his singular shots that he would have thrown in the round, but didn't throw them and saved them for a combination because that was pretty much the only success he had in that round. Again, a clear Molina round, 5-3. Um, in the ninth round, definitely a barrel round. He hit Carlos a lot in that round, to be honest, with both of his hands as well. The left hook to the body looked a nasty shot that Barrow threw time and time again, along with some meaty-looking right hands upstairs. But Molina is obviously tough as nails, and that's why he's never been stopped in his entire career. But I had it 5-4 at that point. Now, in the tenth round, it was absolutely disgraceful from the referee, in my opinion. He took away a point from Molina for using his head. Um... You know, I didn't think it was his fault. I think that the you know the pair were getting close, and it wasn't just um, Carlos's doings. I think the pair were pretty much to blame for that. It wasn't intentional. That's what I'm saying. Carlos Molina's not a dirty fighter, and you know, Barrow a lot of the time he'd. You know, he'd, he'd kind of initiate clinches, he'd hold a lot and stuff like that. And there were little moves that he was pulling off, but the referee wouldn't tell him off at all, you know. But um, it was what it was. It was a 10-8 round because of the point off, which I felt was disgusting. And at that point, I thought, wow, this is it. The German's going to win the fight now. And it's all because of this point deduction. Um yeah, so Molina would then need two big rounds following that to have a chance, pretty much. And to be honest, he did have those big rounds. In the 11th round, it was a big round for Molina. He was stalking his man. He was outlanding him with power punches. Molina really responded well after having that point took off. And he needed to, and he was doing it. And I was really proud of him from that point of view, because sometimes it can dishearten a fighter when you think, do you know what, I'm up against it, I've had a point took off. And you get frustrated, but he was able to remain composed, and he was able to win that round brilliantly. Brilliantly. Great response. In the 12th and final round, Carlos actually brought it to Barrow in that last round and clearly outworked him and showed his grit and what an amazing performance it had been. So for me, even with the point deduction, I had it 1-1-4-1-1-3 to Molina, even with that point deduction. So it was a close fight, but the point deduction made it closer than it really should have been. But for me, Molina won clearly, even with that point deduction. Um... And yeah, a, a brilliant way to finish the fight. But then, of course, the, the judges completely didn't see it like that. One judge actually gave it. It was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds in favor of the German. One judge gave it 11 rounds. Sorry, 10 rounds to two. But with the point off, it was a 118-109 scorecard, which is one of the worst scorecards I've ever seen. And that judge, by the way, um, his name was... Let me just see one second. His name was... Jürgen, where's it gone? Jürgen Langos, that was his name. And I looked at his, his, uh, you know, his, his track record because I thought, do you know what? How can you hand in a scorecard like that? Ten rounds to two. It was disgusting. It was disgusting. In my eyes, he won, what was it, six or seven rounds. Um, to, to, to actually give the fight ten rounds to two was so bad. So I checked out his track record. Um, he's actually been a judge of 457 fights and only twice, believe it or not, only twice in his whole career judging, because um, most of the time he stays in Germany, he doesn't really like to leave the country, he stays in Germany and, and, and referees, oh, sorry, judges a lot of, um, he's also a referee by the way, but he judges a lot of you know, German action and stuff like that, he doesn't really uh, leave Germany much, so 90% of the fights he's judged have been in Germany, well only twice in 457 fights has he given, um, given the decision or turned in a scorecard in favour of the away fighter that's coming to Germany, he's only done it twice in 457 fights. One was a female fight where he handed in a very uh, controversial scorecard. He had it 9-1 to one lady, and the two judges had it around a piece either way, so a very close fight, which he didn't see that way. And the other one, I can't remember what it was, but um, it was another questionable scorecard. So this guy seems to be a clear, clear uh, dodgy judge. So, uh, yeah, that's, I'm going to just leave that there. I don't really want to get into the negatives of it, but fantastic performance from Carlos Molina. All the very best to him. A great friend of the show. Very nice guy. Moving out now, though, to the Microsoft Theater in California, USA. couple fights to mention over here. We saw Omar Figueroa Jr., 27-0, with one draw take on um, 
John Molina Jr., 30-7. Figueroa, of course, a friend of the show. It was a 10-round unanimous decision in favor of Figueroa. Once again, a very, very close fight that I felt could have gone either way. I felt that Figueroa probably did enough. I think it was one of those fights, probably like a uh, like a 6-4 kind of fight. Maybe 7-3 at a push. But um, Figueroa was coming forward all the time. And he doesn't look the greatest on the eye in terms of his body and his shape. But boy, oh boy, he's a tough guy. Um, and he only knows one way to fight. And it's pretty much biting down on the gum shield and walking forward and having a bit of a war. Um, you know, <laughs> he was getting hit with body shots and smiling. He's, he's absolutely crazy. Uh, moving up the card once again, we saw Carlos Licona, 14-0, lose his IBF world minimum weight title to DJ Creel. Um, Licona was the champion, like I say. Um, it was a 12-round knockout. I didn't actually see the fight. I don't think they showed it on the TV. Could be mistaken. I don't remember seeing it, though. Um, but, yeah, a, a knockout in the 12th and final round for DJ Creel. He, he springs an upset there, if I'm not mistaken. Leo Santa Cruz moved to 36 wins. He's got that one loss. He's got that one draw. It was for his WBA Super World Featherweight title. He took on Rafael Rivera, last-minute replacement. Um, a little bit underwhelming, really, from Leo Santa Cruz. Don't think he fought to the best of his abilities. Um, a lot of, you know, featherweights out there be chomping at the bit to try and fight him. Josh Warrington... Oh, I'd love to see that fight, believe me. Um, but anyway, it was a comfortable, unanimous decision in favor of Mr. Santa Cruz. That's a 12-round unanimous decision for him, like I say. Another loss for Rivera. And that's about it for the review part of the show. We tried to go through that as fast as possible. That is everything. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated lightweight world contender. It is, of course, Mr. Teofimo Lopez. Tio, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hey, it's my pleasure. So, Tio, first things first. You're now 12-0, 10 knockouts. You made your debut back in 2016 on that Pacquiao-Vargas undercard. Everything's gone so quickly, it would seem. I mean, you've only been a pro just just over two years, and in such a short space of time, you've literally gone from a prospect to a world contender. And that is what you are, because you're ranked with all four of the major sanctioning bodies. Did you expect the transition from amateur to pro to be as smooth as it's been, Tio? Um, I believe that, uh, you know, I was going to enjoy the pros a lot better than the amateurs, that's for sure. I felt like the pros was, uh, the professional league was home to me instead of the amateurs. I never really enjoyed the amateurs, and look how far I got. You know, I went to, I made it all the way to the highest pinnacle that you could reach in the sport of uh, boxing and the amateurs, and that was the Olympics. So, just, uh, I can't really imagine what I'm going to do, and now that I'm comfortable fighting as a professional, you know, so... You can't really imagine what I'm going to do now. And I think it's so. It's I'm very excited and I'm pleased that we're not today. And I'm really quite intrigued as to what you're going to say to this question, T.O., but what would you say has been your toughest boxing match thus far in a pro ring? I think the toughest boxing match, to be honest, is, uh, is in, since being a professional boxer and everything, honestly, it wouldn't be the opponents, even though they work hard and they try their hardest to, to defeat us, you know? Um, I would say it would be me. You know, I think all that goes down down to me because uh, I truly believe that no fighter can beat me unless it's myself. And that's how I see it and that's how it's always going to be. And I also want to just quickly talk about your most recent couple of wins, December the 8th, Mason Menard. Now, Menard isn't a bad fighter. He also fought another prospect that I rate very highly, Devin Haney. Well, Devin Haney went nine rounds with him. You stopped him in 44 seconds of the first round. And every year on this podcast, we do like an end-of-year kind of award ceremony. And many of our listeners voted in your knockout over Menard as one of the biggest and best knockouts of 2018. Uh, what was that like from your point of view? you i mean that was it was incredible to watch uh you know actually coming back from an injury you know uh i think many of you guys noticed i you know i injured my right hand uh in my my fight against william silver in july and i was out for a couple months and just coming back from that injury from a broken hand and fighting back at madison square garden it was uh just that alone was great you know coming back coming back from an injury and everything was great uh, to fight at Madison Square Garden, and then fighting Mason Menard on top of that, a guy that's a veteran and everything, and defeating him the way we did, uh, it couldn't have gotten any better than the way it did that night. So I was just happy, uh, and then the celebration along with it, we did the uh, Heisman, the Heisman pose, 
you know, knowing that it was a Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony that, that day. And um, it just worked out. It just, <laughs> honestly, it was just a, it planned out everything perfectly that night. Yeah, it looked that way for sure. And on to the next one. You just you just fought the other week, February the second, against Diego Magdaleno. Now, Magdaleno, another quality fighter. I mean, his two losses came to world champions. What did that win mean to you? I mean, you've you've really put yourself up there right now. Um, we've knockout of the year once again, and we're only a few weeks into 2019. <laughs> they are saying already that's knockout of the year. <laughs> uh, well, there's going to be many more. That's for sure. Um, you know, and that's the goal. That's our plan is to um, execute each uh, victory the way that we want it and, and to go out with a bang each and every fight. So, um, you know, Magdalena was a tough opponent, you know. The farthest I've, I've gone uh, in my career so far, seven rounds, and, you know, we had to take our time with him, you know, a little bit more. But it was um, – we, we planned it out perfectly. Everything was just uh, – I executed it just the way it is and how my coach wanted it to be. He said, take your time, take your shot, and um, and that's what we did. And I, I want to give you just an opportunity here to talk about the celebration. A lot of people felt like it was a little bit kind of distasteful, a little bit out of line, but, you know... It wasn't meant maliciously, of course, and I want I want the you know the UK fans to understand that coming from you. Um, you know, people don't understand. I think that um, and it's okay because they don't know they don't know what's going on outside the outside when there's no cameras and stuff like that. So it's uh it's understandable that they could judge me off of something that I've done uh, when it came to a celebration. Um. And you have a fighter that is uh, – so I, I understand the fight fans. They understand that they could be upset and say that I am arrogant, I am a piece of crap, I am this, I am that. And so many hurtful things they can say about it and that they can't wait to see me go knocked out and stuff. Um, it's okay. I understand. Um, but when you have someone disrespect your family and uh, let's say your culture or anything of those sorts, um, of course you're going to uh, argue going to retaliate in a different way. I mean, I could knock a guy out. That's one thing, but um, to 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 degrade them in the sense of like that, uh, I am sorry. I'm I am sorry for the things that I did in that fight uh, after the knockout, but it, I'm not sorry for the for it in the sense of why doing it because he deserved it, and a lot of fight fans are not gonna understand it, and that's something that I do want to reach out to them is that. Let them know that I am not that type. If you look at all my fights, when I knocked out Mason Menard, when I uh, knocked out William Silver, uh, if you look at those fights, once I finished with my backflip, it was done. Everything after that was my final uh, celebration when I finished with the backflip. Um, I didn't finish the, with the backflip in the, in my previous fight with uh, Magdalena. Why? It's because of the things that he said about my parents' country, Honduras, and so many things where people are not going to do the research and they're just going to judge me off of what they saw. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes I feel like people need to actually know the facts before they jump right into it and judge me off of what they see right there. That I don't, I don't do things the way I do just by doing them because I want to be, um, I want to be a prick about it. No, I do those things because I have a good reason for it. So, um, you know, what's done is done. I know next time I won't do stuff like that, you know. Um, and I can't change what happened, but I know I could change for the better. And right now, coming up to my next fight in the future, um, you know, uh, people don't know me, but people that do know me, and they've always met me. Whoever has met me in person, they know that I am <laughs> I'm totally one different type of fighter. I'm, I'm one totally different type of person. You know, at the end of the day, I always look at it like this, that uh, no matter what it is, I don't see myself as a famous fighter. I do not see myself as a um, a celebrity. I do not see myself in those sorts. You know, um, I always thought of it like this. When I'm in the ring, I am the best. And um, I'm, go I'm always going to show it. I am the best. I am a champion. And that's how I always, I'm always going to be. If anything, I'm going to say I am the, the, the shit. Sorry for my language, but I'm the shit when it comes to fighting. But outside of the ring... We're all equal, and I think people need to understand how I am, but I can't really, and I could say this in many interviews, but you know what, since we're in the, if this is the U.K., I feel like it's good to I actually give, give out a message. 
when it comes to outside the ring, I'm no big head fighter. I'm not a big headed. I'm not big headed when it comes to it. I don't think I'm the I'm the shit. I don't think um on top of that, I do think that we all bleed the same. So why do I have to be treated differently? You understand? And that's how I'm always gonna be. Uh and people that and I guarantee you, ask anyone that's ever met me, they'll tell you that how humble I am, how 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 nice I am. Because I've been humbled three times by God. So I understand I understand when it comes to thinking that I'm the shit and everything. But people don't people are not gonna see that. So, you know, what what's done is done. And I'm just gonna move on from it. And the next my next fight you guys will see a celebration. But no more um let's just say no more um digging the dirt on anybody. No, very well said. I mean, I'm glad that you've you've explained that. A lot of people over here who, like you said, don't do their research need to hear things like that. So thank you for explaining that, T.O. Now, you're still 21 years of age. You're a young guy. I think sometimes people forget that. At the minute, you're being heavily linked with this Lomachenko fight uh, at some point in the near future. Where did that stem from, T.O.? Because I'm going to be honest here. I mean, I'm against that fight happening, if I'm being honest, for now. I mean, I feel like you're a young guy. I feel like you're getting better and better. You're considered to be one of the very best fighters to watch for the future. Why rush it? Why not enjoy the ride and fighting when you've gathered a bit more experience? I'm not really rushing. I mean, it's just that with my skills and everything, it's clearly showing that we're ready for a world title. And who has the world titles? Like I said, it's not just Lomachenko here. It's Richard Coleman, it's Michael Garcia, but Michael Garcia is still at 147 right now. Um, he might just stay at 147, you know, and things like that. I honestly feel like um, we're not in no rush here. Okay, okay. I'm not in a rush, but it's just it's just happening. The way it is, it's happening, and it's working, you know. Uh, we, talk, uh, we, talk, we talk the talk, but we walk the walk, and that's how it's always going to be. I talk, my, I, I talk my stuff, but I always back it up. If a fight with Lomachenko happens, uh, it has to happen by the end of this year, no later than the beginning of 2020, and Top Rank knows this already. So if they want this fight to happen, I already gave him a deadline on it. Now, if Lomachenko goes down to 130, then you know for sure that he does not want to fight us. And what am I going to do? I'm not going to wait for no man, even if he's champion, and I'm going to move up to 140. 2020, I will be at 140 pounds. 2020. So this is my last year at 135 pounds. Okay, exciting things for the future. Now, one fight I would like to see, and I might be upsetting some of my listeners over here, but a fight with Ricky Burns makes a lot of sense in my opinion. I mean, the guy is a free weight world champion. He's never been stopped. I believe that you you really do have the tools to become the first man to stop him. But again, I'm not gonna just start uh, throwing names out if that's not a fight that. Oh you're... wow, that's what, that's that's a, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now your next your next fight is penciled in for April the twentieth, the Crawford versus Khan undercard. Any names right now, To for 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 that fight there? To be honest, they don't have uh they haven't found anybody yet. They're still looking. They still they're trying to even look at one forty pound is probably going down to thirty five to fight me. Um right now at this point they're having difficulties, but uh we have the best top rank, we have the best matchmakers in the boxing world, and that's Brad Goodman and Bruce Champlin, and I'm pretty sure we will have an opponent. Uh they're still looking at them right now, and I think it's because they want it to be a good, exciting fight. Uh, knowing that it might be on pay-per-view, I believe, uh, on ESPN, uh, April 20th. So it's just really who they're looking forward. Um, who they're looking forward to to make a big fight with Teofimo Lopez. And I want to just try and go through these next couple of questions as quick as possible. I want to throw three fights at you and just get your opinion on these three upcoming fights. Um, Crawford versus Khan, the the main event. Do you give Khan a chance there? Also, Lomachenko versus Anthony Crawler and Mikey Garcia versus Errol Spence. What's your take on those three? Um, Mikey Garcia versus Spence. Errol Spence. Uh, it's a good fight. I believe that. Um, Mikey Garcia is going to bring it to Errol Spence, but I do not see Mikey Garcia winning the fight. Um, I feel like a lot of people feel the same way. Amir Khan and Terrence Crawford, I believe Crawford is going to... I believe Khan is going to come out strong the first couple rounds. You know, uh, like he always does, he starts off strong, he starts off fast. But I think uh, Terrence Crawford is going to adapt to him and is going to wear him down and, and probably end up knocking him out. And then... 
last but not least, uh, Anthony Krola and Lomachenko. Um, a good fight, and it should be a good one for both of them. And uh, we'll see what he could do with a guy from the UK. And finally, just to wrap it up, uh, Tio, what is your message to your UK supporters? You've really become quite a name over here amongst the fight fans in the past 12 or so months. What is your message to your supporters from across the pond? Well, I want to I want to thank you guys. I want to thank the UK fans and everything. You guys are a big, big boxing fans. And I'm just glad that I could actually have my name. I'm honored just to have my name out there in the UK. So it's a blessing. I would love to fight there one day. Um, but, you know, I am signed with top rank, so it's up to their decisions on if they want to make a fight out there. Um, and we can always make that happen, you know. Um, and I'm very excited. I I just want all you guys to keep supporting Teofimo Lopez. I'm not a bad guy like everybody thinks I am. <laughs> but uh, it is what it is. I just want to make sure that all the fans, they keep supporting me. And remember, I always fight for you guys. Um, and I come here to entertain you guys. And just know that one day, Teofimo Lopez will fight in the UK. Absolutely fantastic. The fight fans over here, I'm sure, will be very excited to hear that. Listen, Tio, it's really been a pleasure speaking with you this week. It really has. Best of luck for April 20th. Thank you for your time, and we'll speak again very soon. Uh, thank you so much for having me, and have a good uh, have a good day. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, is the news part of the show. Ayaz, what you got for us? Right, the big news is that Billy Joe Saunders has moved up to super middleweight and will challenge for the vacant WBO super middleweight title against Shifat Usufi. What date is that one set for, Ayaz? April 13th, Wembley Arena. Oh yeah, I remember um, Frank Warren said that there there was always going to be a big fight at Wembley. We knew that on April 13th and it's here. It was a little a little cheeky, uh, little cheeky dig there. Um, do you know what? I mean, it's, it's an underwhelming kind of fight for Billy Joe Saunders. I mean... I don't really know who to blame. Um, you know, we would have liked to see the Canelo fight. We would have liked to see the Golovkin fight. I do believe he wanted those fights and he wanted them to happen. But, um, you know, the the Andrade fight escaped us, even though, you know, we were hearing that the purse bids were coming and all that kind of stuff and they were trying to close a deal and all that. And then out of nowhere, it's like he didn't want to tell Eddie Hearn and Andrade. He just wanted to mess them around or something. You can't blame Andrade. That's what I'm trying to get at. Um, yeah, it is frustrating. Again, Billy Joe Saunders, the last time we seen him box properly was against Lemieux. And that was now just over a year ago, a year and two months ago. And in the meantime, he took on Charles Adamu, obviously. You know, one fight he had in 2018, which was that Adamu fight. And here he gets in against, like I say, or like you say, Shefat Isufi. You look at this guy, I mean, 20 knockouts from 27 wins, but He's he's not really impressive, is he? He's he's got three losses. He actually retired on his stall against Darius Sek, who uh, who who Anthony Yard knocked out last year, I believe. It was the first southpaw that, that Anthony Yard had fought, and that's that's really it. I mean, the best win of his of his career. I'm just really looking here. Um, no, he doesn't really have a best win, so Billy Joe Saunders should take him out. But it'd be interesting to see what he looks like at 168, but. Aside from that, I'm not really interested. It's it's an easy way to become a two-weight world champion, and it's an underwhelming way. I mean, I'm not looking forward to the fight. I don't really know what to say about it. I'm not I'm not really that bothered, to be honest. Uh, Tyson Fury has signed a co-promotion deal with Top Rank and ESPN. Yeah, it's very unclear to see what is going to happen in the future. Obviously, we were hearing about the Wilder Fury rematch being possibly announced any day now, but with this deal coming out of nowhere, it seemed to have took everyone by surprise. I don't know if it makes it easier or harder to make, but it's another obstacle. There's no denying that. So not quite sure what's going to happen. I believe Bob Arum's plan is for Wilder and Fury to have another fight in between their rematch and try and do it later on in the year. I mean, I don't know. It just seems to be a bit of a shame. I mean, who are they going to give to Tyson Fury in the meantime? The way that it all went, the way he had to get into shape and put up that fantastic performance against Wilder back in December, it just, it just seems a shame to step back a level and then go and do it again later on in the year. What's really the point? I mean, I actually don't think that the fight would benefit from even more of a break. Everyone's desperate to see that fight right now. People are going to grow tired of it. And if the fight doesn't happen for another kind of, I don't know, eight months or something like that, I mean, it kind of takes a little bit of the excitement away, I think. I think a lot of boxing fans from around the world 
kind of really got to know, got to know those two guys because of that fight and the controversy and all that kind of thing. So to leave it a substantial amount of time before getting it on again, I think is actually a negative thing to do. So we'll see what happens, but it's a big deal for Tyson Fury. He's going to make a lot of money out of it, and you know that's one good thing. Derek Chisora will now be trained by uh, Dave Colwell. Yeah, very interesting link-up. I can't really say I'm too surprised. Um, you know, I don't know if David Hayes is going to be involved anymore. I think he perhaps still manages him. But, um, you know, obviously we know about Chisora and Tony Bellew being really good friends. So not really that surprising to see him go there. I don't know if it's going to last. I mean, I just, I just, I, I really question his dedication to the sport, Derek Chisora. And to leave... Uh, Don Charles, he's done that in the past, then he went back there, now he's left him again. I don't know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Derek Chisora is a decent fighter to a certain level, and he's got a style about him that can cause many fighters problems, but I don't think he's good enough to win a world title or good enough to beat really any of the top kind of five, six, seven, eight guys um, in the world at, at heavyweight. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to really require a lot of dedication to up and go and leave London behind and move up there and train out of Caldwell's gym. It's, it's going to take a lot of de dedication. Has he got that in him at this stage of his career? Not quite sure. I'm not sure if it's going to last long. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, um, Nicola Adams has pulled out from her fight. Yeah, she was set to fight on the... Um, what show is it now? On the uh, the 8th of March show, wasn't she, at the Royal Albert Hall? She's been forced to pull out of that. And what's happened there is Anthony Yard's fire has now been moved to that bill because the whole Leicester show has fallen apart and has been uh, rescheduled for... Let me just check. I think it is for the... Uh, the 23rd of March. It's still going to be in Leicester, but the whole show has fallen through with Anthony Yard coming off of it. That Royal Albert Hall kind of show has just been cursed, really. Um, Archie Sharp was pulled off the bill. He was in against an undefeated fighter. That's a, a big value fight missed out on there. Um, Nicola Adams fighting for a world title. That's gone. They needed to throw another fight on to save it, I felt, because you can't just have Daniel Dubois headlining it and then quite a poor undercard. It would be a real, a real shame. So, uh, yeah, they've put Anthony Yard on there. Fair enough. It's a decent card, but, you know, Leicester would have been a complete well, it would have been a complete shambles if Anthony Yard didn't fight on that, so I can understand why they've they've postponed that bill. Yep, and that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayers. Right, let's start now with the preview part of the show. We're going to start at the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London, United Kingdom. couple fights to mention. Um, we're going to start with the undercard, obviously. We've got prospect Dan Aziz, 6-0. His opponent yet to be announced. That's an eight-rounder there. Danny Dignam, 9-0. He's in an eight-rounder against Ayi Ayiti. That's a nice name. 15-8. That's an eight-rounder there. And topping the bill, a great, great fight. This one, by the way. Obviously not at a fantastically high level. But Paddy Gallagher, 15-4. Fights for the vacant WBO European welterweight title against Freddie Kiewit, 14-2. That's a real good fight, actually. That could be a real barn burner there. Um, Kiewit can really fight. Uh, moving out now to the Auditorio Municipal Fausto Gutierrez Moreno in Tijuana, Baja, California, Mexico. <laughs> I'm coming for Jimmy Lennon Jr.'s job. Um, that is a Matrum Mexico show, Eddie Hearn, in association with Paco Damian um, from Paco Presents Promotions and Promotions Zanfa, which is Fernando Beltran. So three men driving this card here. The main event is really the only fight to mention, to be honest. Friend of the show, Brandon Rios, former world champion, 35-4 and four with one draw. Fight number 41 for him. He takes on Humberto Soto. Fight number 41, what is that? He is having fight number 80. Incredible. 68 wins, 9 losses, and 2 draws. So, 41 fights against 80 fights. Come on, Brandon Rios, catch up. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a kind of fight where Brandon Rios, even though he beat Canelo's brother last time out, Canelo's brother's not any great shakes, really. Brandon Rios actually didn't look impressive, despite... Managing to win the fight. Um, Humberto Soto. <laughs> another guy that... I mean... He's had such a long career, obviously. So many fights. But it just depends what he's got left. Because I think Rios is pretty shot. And Soto's pretty shot. So, could be a good fight. 
I'm not quite sure. I'm not even sure if it's going to get shown on Sky TV. I want to check that one out because it should be. I mean, at least. It's not a great car, but at least give us some boxing this weekend, Eddie Hearn. Uh, moving out now to the O2 Arena in Greenwich, London, United Kingdom, ITV pay-per-view. If you're watching at home, we have on this bill, Anthony Kakachi, 16-1. and one. He returns to the ring after about a year out of it. Um, good fighter. Only that one loss to Martin J. Ward. Close fight on points. Seb Eubank gets out again. Um... He's 1-0. I can't remember when he had that first fight. Wasn't it on the Groves and Eubank Jr. card? I think he was on the undercard there, and they really kicked off because they weren't showing him on TV for his debut. Anyway, he's 1-0. His opponent yet to be announced. Chris Congo, 10-0. Good prospect. His uh, opponent yet to be announced. Lee Selby, 26-2. We had him on the show about four weeks ago or something. Uh, we talked about this fight here against Omar Douglas, 19-2. He's never been stopped, Douglas. Uh, Selby moving up two weight divisions to lightweight Iaz. I'm going to throw it over to you. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what Lee Selby's got because he didn't seem to have much against Josh Warrington. You know, we all knew he was killing himself to make that weight. He's moved up not one but two weight classes here against the guy who is a true lightweight. How do you see it unfolding? It's going to be interesting to see Lee Selby at 135. Um, I think Lee Selby's going to be very good at his weight. I think obviously... Um, having been at a featherweight for such a long... He was at featherweight for such a long time. I think he's going to be a new fight and I think... Um, I think we're going to see a new Selby, and I think I'm going to go for Selby win on points. Selby win on points. I agree, and so do the listeners. Moving up the bill, we get to see Andre Sterling, 9-0. and um, Hasn't really beaten anyone of note just yet. He's had actually a couple of close fights. I think he fought Adam Jones, a tough journeyman, my favourite journeyman, and there was only a point in that fight, and I think he's coming off of a win over somebody... Um, might have been Kirk Garvey, maybe, if my memory serves me correct, and that was a close fight. He looks to move to 10-0, and 0, but he takes on Ricky Summers, 15-1. and 1. Again, Ricky Summers hasn't really got any fantastic wins. His one loss came to um, Frank Buglioni, but I remember in that fight, it was quite a close fight, and Ricky Summers really impressed me with his jab. He had a great jab, and I'm expecting to see some great jabs from him on Saturday night at the O2. Um, Ricky Summers has been training a lot with Frank Buglioni after they fought. I uh, know that they did a lot of sparring. I think Ricky Summers has probably improved, and I'd probably back him to get the win here. Um, I, I do have to say, I haven't seen Andre Sterling fight um, much before, so you know I'm probably being a little bit unfair to him. Um, also on the bill, we get to see Big Joe Joyce 7-0 with seven knockouts take on Bermain Stavern 25-3 and with one draw. Um, Tim Rounder here, I as obviously... But Mainstavern hasn't been seen since that one-round demolition job that uh, Deontay Wilder did to him. He hasn't been in a ring for, I believe, about 15 months it was since that fight there. Joe Joyce, a completely different style, but the pair have done sparring before. There's a little bit of history there. There's a little bit of needle there. It's a great test for Joe Joyce in just his eighth fight, and I really, really like this matchmaking. It's exciting, and I'm looking forward to it 100%. Um, I'm not going to give a prediction on that one, though, by the way. Um, so, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll be looking for that fight. It would be a great, great fight. Cannot wait to see it. And the main event for the IBO World Super Middleweight title. The title is vacant. The winner gets it. James DeGaulle in one corner, 25-2 and two with one draw. Chris Eubank Jr. in the other corner, 27-2. and two, A 12-round fight. Iaz, talk to me. Okay, so I think this uh, DeGaulle versus Chris Eubank Jr. fight is going to be really good. Um, I think, obviously, we're going we're gonna to see a new DeGaulle. I mean, haven't seen him um, in his interviews and that. He looks in very good shape, obviously, him working out. Um, I think Chris Eubank Jr. now with the trainer is going to be more. We're going to see. We're going to see a better Chris Eubank Jr. Obviously, we know what he's like in his work rates and that. But if I'm going to go with a winner, I'm going to go with Chris Eubank Jr. to win on points. And I think the reason is, having seen DeGale's last performance, they haven't really been really great to tell me to tell me that he's going to win this fight. So I'm going to go with Chris Eubank Jr. to win on points. Okay, well we're all split on that fight because the listeners have gone with DeGale to win on points. Um... I'm going to go Eubank Jr. by knockout in the later rounds. I know we don't have to specify when, um, you know, when someone gets a knockout, but I think it will be the later rounds. Um, I know that people are going to go, what, Joey, you're letting us down? What are you talking about? Well, I just have to pretty much echo what you said, I as I mean, we didn't see his last fight. 
myself or you I has because it wasn't televised it was on some undercard in America where he blew someone out in a round or something like that a journeyman I think it was but the two fights before that against Truax a man that we've come to know quite well he's been on the show a handful of times um he didn't look impressive. I mean, the first fight, he was absolutely terrible. Fair enough, he was coming off the injury and stuff like that. The second fight, he won, but it wasn't a convincing, dominant performance at all. And over the two fights, if you put all those 24 rounds together, I think Truax certainly won more of the rounds. So that doesn't stand you in great stead against someone with the style of uh, of Chris Eubank Jr. I'm not taking nothing away from Truax. Um it is going to be a very interesting fight. I'm glad that they've got George Groves in to do the commentary and stuff like that. I think he'll be a top analysis for that fight in particular, having beaten both men. Um, but yeah, I just think DeGaulle, at this point of his career, I think he's a bit shot. I think the Badu Jack fight took so much out of him. And I think that, as he always has done, he, he will take off some rounds in the middle part where he seems to kind of coast a little bit and... I don't know, he seems to just take his foot off the gas mentally or whatever it is, I really don't know. And the one thing about Eubank, if anything, is that his work rate is pretty much unmatchable unless you're a brilliant boxer that doesn't take any rounds off. So if you take a few rounds off, you're you're literally, you know, suicidal. You're literally signing yourself up to lose. And I think that at some point he will overwhelm James DeGaulle and force a stoppage. I don't see James DeGaulle getting knocked out cold or anything like that, but I just think... Um, for the first few rounds, it'll be interesting. I think perhaps James DeGaulle will probably pick those rounds up. But I think as the fight goes on, Eubank will up and up and up the volume. And I think he'll force a stoppage late. But I, I really hope I'm wrong because James DeGaulle is a friend of the show. I'd like to see him win, um, as would many others, just because they don't like Eubank Jr. I like Eubank Jr., to be fair. Um, but, yeah, I don't think he's the better boxer by any means. I just think he has definitely got enough chance to overwhelm James DeGale. And James DeGale, like I say, of late, hasn't looked great. But I do have to say, he looks much more motivated. As you're right about that, he looks in great shape. I know that he's taking this fight very seriously. And one thing that has changed about James DeGale... He said that if I lose this fight, I may as well knock it on the head. This is the retirement fight. He's never really spoke like that in his career before. He's always kind of, you know, if you try and ask him a question about, oh, if you lose here, then what happens? He's like, no, 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 no. I ain't thinking about that. He's that kind of guy. So to see him come out himself and say that, it's weird because it can, it can be viewed as two things. Can it be because he's got one foot out the door already and he wants a last little payday? Or can it be because he's thinking, nah. Like, I'm being real with myself here. I'm so motivated for this one. If I lose, I'm no good. I may as well retire. It could be, it could go go either way. You know what I mean? It could go either way. It could be a positive thing to look at it like that or a negative thing. That's what I'm getting at. And it will be intriguing. But um, yeah, James DeGale's got the tools, but has he got the gas tank? We know that Eubank Jr. has got the gas tank, but has he got the tools? Very, very good fight. I cannot wait to see it unfold. Like I say, Saturday night, ITV pay-per-view at the O2 Arena. If you can't make it there, certainly tune in at home. And the final bill to mention at the Minneapolis Armory in Minnesota, USA. This one's going to be on USA Fox Sports 1. Um, What do we have on the undercard? We don't really have much, to be honest. Let's just talk about the main event. Anthony Durrell, 32-1 with one draw, takes on Avni Yildirim, 21-1 for the vacant WBC World Super Middleweight title, the belt that got got taken away from David Benavidez. Um, Yeah, Durrell, I mean, some people I saw on Twitter were saying, oh, it's funny because these two guys are headlining a show, and over here in the UK... The, the two guys that beat them are headlining a show, but it's not it's not the the, the right Darrell. Um, Degal beat Andre Darrell, not Anthony, and obviously Chris Eubank Jr. stopped um, having the yield rim in the in the in the quarterfinal of the World Boxing Super Series. But we get the drift. The Darrell brothers are real confusing, and um, yeah, a, a pretty much I'd say waste of talent at some at some stages in their career. Anthony, obviously. I don't know, it's hard to say who's more talented at this stage anyway. I think probably Anthony's got more left in the tank, but um, should be a decent fight. But I mean, I don't think either of them is really worthy to become a WBC world champion. I'm not sure about that. Callum Smith, I think he wipes out either of them. But anyway, should be a decent fight, I guess, hopefully anyway. Uh, Yildirim, quite under-impressive, to be honest. Um, Yeah, that's about it, though, for the preview part of the show. We brought you the news, we brought you part one, we brought you part two. Just before we wrap up part two, there is one last thing to do. Don't worry, it's to welcome our second and final guest. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the up-and-coming rising bantamweight star. He also has some of the very best-looking pillows you ever will see. It is Mr. Joshua Greer Jr. Josh, welcome back on the show. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. So, Josh, you're fresh off your win on Friday over Giovanni Escaner. Um, not the simplest win. Obviously, you were down yourself at the end of round three, but, you know, you were able to get up and finish the job in round eight. Please talk us through it if you can. Uh, what it was, round three. Round round one and two, I boxed real good. Round three, uh, I the, uh, the bell rung, and I got comfortable on the ropes, and I let my hand down, and Giovanni like an overhand or whatever it, uh the shot it never hurted me it never dazed me or anything like that i got back up you know i told the ref like man i was after the bell he said it was on the bell i said okay i went in my corner my coach john Foreman told me he said he said it's, it's done it's over with he said we, we're looking forward now what, what i want you to do is go out there keep keep boxing this guy he can't he can't handle your speed and keep working the body and that's what i did yeah, and talking of of the of the body shots, I mean, you know, you, you landed a devastating one in that eighth and final round. Um, Giovanni did land one left hook just after that. It was like a, a delayed reaction. He went down. When you landed that shot, did you expect him to go down like that, Josh? Uh, I, I planned on. Uh, I'm always prepared to do uh, the X amount of rounds that I have to do. That was a ten round fight. I was prepared to keep working the body. If I had to throw a thousand body shots, I was prepared to do it all night. So. I didn't know he was going to um, go on specifically that shot, but I was willing to work all night. And obviously this this gimmick you have about the pillows, when did that start? You seem to have like a new one every fight to match your fight attire. Is that right? Yes. The pillows started. I fought a guy, James Gordon Smith in Detroit, and I, I was the opponent. I was the B-side, and he was talking a lot of stuff, disrespecting me and everything, and I, I told him I was going to put him to sleep, so I brought the pillows to the weigh-in. And then I brought it out to the fight, and um, once I knocked him out, I brought the pillow out, and I said, I can't turn back from here. You know, people love it. I got to keep keep performing like this and keep bringing out the pillow. <laughs> and on to the next one. Uh, Josh, when are you hoping to fight next at this stage? And that's very early, only a few days ago since you were in the ring, but any idea when you're next out? I'm hoping to fight maybe uh, April, May, or wherever. I talked to my manager. I'm going to talk to him later this week, uh, Jay Prince and also Bob Aram, and uh Hopefully we get a date for um, either uh, mid-April or uh, early May, and I'm because I'm ready to get right back in there. And I'm guessing when you refer to mid-April, you're probably talking about the Crawford Khan undercard. Is that a, is that a bill that you'd like to get on the uh, undercard of? That that man, that would be great. That would be a blessing, most definitely. And you mentioned there, Josh, about um, about John Pullman, your your coach. Who else trains out of that gym? Is uh, is Big Gerald Washington still down there? No, Gerald Washington is not down there anymore, but we do have, uh, his name is uh, Tagust uh, Nambiar. He just fought Claudio Morera at 126 for the WBC title eliminator. He won. He's a Mongolian. And we have uh, Josh Zunaga. He's up and coming, 9-1. Uh, and We have uh, Terrell Williams. He's undefeated uh, with Al Heyman. And we have Nathaniel Gallimore, uh, the Jamaican. He's uh, another one that's uh, real good, and he's uh, working with top rank also. Excellent stuff. And just to let the listeners know, if they didn't know already, obviously you started your career at Super Bantam. Uh, you got to 3-0, and and in your full fight, you drew with Mario Ayala over six rounds. So a minor blemish there. And then right after that, of course, you took on Stephen Fulton. Now, he was able to beat you by a majority decision over four rounds. He's still undefeated as we speak, but you've moved up. Oh, sorry, down a weight, and he's moved up a weight. So the rematch seems unlikely to happen. And from... October 2015 to May 2016, you actually had eight fights in a row, which went the distance, and now, of course, you're known as uh, as Mr. Don't Blink, because, you know, not only have you have you stepped up your opposition, not only have you been winning fights, but you've, you've got a real knockout streak going now, seven in a row. What has happened for you to seemingly improve so much? It's almost like you're a completely different fighter in recent times. Would you agree? Yeah, most definitely, man. That's why I owe, I, well, I owe a lot of respect to my coach, John Portman. I mean, he, uh, he, 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 defense opened up offense. And, he, he, you know, he taught me a lot with defense. And I'm working harder than ever, you know, uh, to keep bringing out the pillow. So I'm placing my shots. I'm sitting down on certain punches. And when it's time to dig deep, I know how to get the job done. 
And of course, you're world ranked with two of the major governing bodies. You're number 12 with the WBO and number 7 with the IBF. Um, what are you making of the division right now at world level? Obviously, you've got the likes of Manny Rodriguez undefeated, Zelani Tete Inoue, who's looking like a complete monster. Um, Nonito Danez back down at that weight now. You've got Nordin Ubali, who just recently beat Roche Warren. What's your thoughts on those guys? I feel like I feel like the thing about me is I can adapt to any fighter and I can find a situ I can find a situation within a fight to find how to win. You know what I mean? I have the will to win and I train to win. So I feel like any of those guys, none of those guys to me are just that they 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 they're good champions but they they're not stretched where they can't be beat. And I feel like I could pull it out and beat any of those guys and the time is gonna come. And I will prove that I'm the best one eighteen pound in a division right now. So the time is going to come, and I will prove it. I already know to myself who I am, and I just have to prove it to the world, and then and everybody and everybody see from there. And Josh, you talk about some of the names in your gym. Have you been able to, you know, branch out and, and spar perhaps some of the bigger names in the division? If so, who have you mixed it with in sparring, if you can say some of the names? Uh, I spar a lot. Like I said, I sparred uh, Goose Nambiari. He's a fighter 126. He's an Olympic silver medalist. I sparred uh, a lot of guys in uh, California. I sparred, uh, who else? I sparred, um, I'm trying to think of some of the names. I sparred Oscar Negrete. I sparred um, Azat. Uh, he fought at 122. I sparred, uh, uh, who else? Um, a couple more names I can't think of right now. I sparred a lot. In Cal- One thing about California, so working out in California, it's a lot of work out there, you know. So, so there's a lot of good sparring. And what are your thoughts on Tyson Fury signing a deal with Top Rank and the possibilities that he might just steal your nickname and become Mr. ESPN? <laughs> <laughs> One thing, I, I, I love Tyson Fury as a person. I had the honor of actually getting my medicals done before he fought Wilder. Um, honestly, I was a big fan of Wilder. I mean, I'm still a fan of Wilder, but before he fought Wilder, uh, I was in a, we was getting our medicals done at the same time in the same doctor's office. So we were talking. And Tyson Fury told me, he said, he said, I'm going, he said, I'm going, I'm going to win this fight. You know, and, and the way he was talking, I said, man, this man confident. Like, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking at the time, like, Deontay Wilder was a monster. You know, like, I, I was, I, I thought in my head that he might knock Tyson Fury out, you know. So when Tyson Fury going through all the what he's been through and everything and to go, on, go in there and say and do what he say and put on that performance despite of everything that he's been through, it showed me a lot, and I became a fan of Tyson Fury's forever. Like, so it, it's a it's an absolute honor for Tyson Fury to be on the same team. I mean, for me to be on the same team as Tyson Fury, and vice versa. I'm honored to uh, have him on the top ranked team, and I I mean, hopefully, I get to fight on one of his cards. And you know, those I I, I love him, his brother, all of them, man. They good people. They funny guys, and they remind me of myself. You know, they 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 don't care, and um, they they rowdy guys if they have to get there. <laughs> Yeah, very true. Um, I want to ask you also, Josh, about... I like to ask this question to everybody that we speak to from overseas. Who would you say... I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. Who would you say is your favorite UK fighter? It doesn't have to be from this era. It can be any era. It can be a guy that's uh, that's been retired for years. It can be a guy that's still active and fighting now. Any era. I honestly have to say my favorite UK fighter is Tyson Fury. I have to say that. He, he showed me... A lot. He sh- he showed me more than just he showed, and not even just me. Everybody around he showed you that no matter what you go through in life, you know what I mean. No matter how much they count. I mean, I'm sure he was a huge underdog going into that fight, and all the stuff that he put his body through, and all the trials and tribulations he went through, he still overcame. And I believe he won that fight. Yeah, I think many share that opinion also. Um, not not just UK fighters, but who do you enjoy watching when you do watch boxing, Josh? Are you a fan of the Canelos and the Mayweathers? Who else? My favorite fighter is Canelo Whitaker. Uh, he was an all-time great to me. Okay, you like watching the old tapes then? Yeah, most definitely. I like the old school fighters because they were they were mean. It was more, they, 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 they took pride in their work. You know, it, was, it wasn't coming in that plan around or they didn't. They didn't, you know, do one too much, you know, shaking hands and all. Hi, it's very passive. They were like killers, you know, the Sugar Ray Leonard's and those guys. Those guys were killers. And when they got you hurt, they finished you. Yeah, they certainly did. And coming down to the last couple questions, Josh, we've gone through them pretty quickly. Um, 
I just wanted to say, you know, have you got any kind of message for your supporters, perhaps over here from the UK that are getting behind you now? I'm sure that you know that the, you know, the UK boxing fans are some of the very best. I'm sure you've got a lot of support from over here. Oh, what's, your, what's, your, what's your message to those guys, Josh? I just want to say, man, it's an absolute honor to have the uh, fan base of the, the UK, you know what I mean? Uh, continue to watch my fights. I, I promise to continue to put on good performances. I mean, the UK is one of the... Uh, Best uh, fans of boxing, you know, I uh, always watch the fights in the UK, the big fights, how they put the big events together. So it's an absolute honor to uh, even be speaking with you, you know, on your broadcast and everything. So I just want to tell everybody in the UK, just continue to watch out for me and don't blink. Don't blink for sure. And just for those that are unsure, Josh, where can you be followed on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, if people aren't already following? You can follow me on Instagram at Joshua Grid Jr. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Joshua Grid Jr. No Facebook? Facebook, Joshua Grid Jr. Everything Joshua Grid Jr. All my social media. Yeah, everything Joshua Grid Jr. So I'm easy to find. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent stuff. Right, listen, Joshua, I'd like to thank you for your time today. Congrats once again on your win. We'll look out for your next move. Hopefully you get on on a nice, juicy undercard in April or May, and we'll speak again very soon. All right, thank you for having me, my man. Okay, and this wraps up episode 175 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Summer has been I as Summer. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show. It's accidentally turned out to be a bit of a top-ranked themed podcast. Tiafimo Lopez, one of the hottest prospects slash contenders in world boxing. Thank you to you, sir. And also, of course, to Joshua Greer Jr., another uh, top contender slash prospect who carries a pillow with him wherever he travels best of luck to everybody out there with the predictions this weekend it is interesting it's great that we're all split on the main event James DeGale and Chris Eubank Jr hopefully that lives up to be a great fight thank you all once again for listening to this week's podcast and we shall see you all again next week until then take care